Welcome everyone to the RTS Masterminds podcast. We are back with some company of heroes free talk with uh, Brandon Castile here on the right side. How are you doing, buddy? Doing well. It's been a while. How are you? Yeah, doing well myself. Now, to remind everyone, Brandon is the lead designer on Tempest Rising. I'm the lead designer on a currently unannounced ARPG game under the codename Project Minerva. Um, we both have a long history of real-time strategy games in our careers and outside of it. <laughs> yeah. Big RTS nerds. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I love uh, being able to sit down and talk RTS with people. I, I tell my um, family that I'm like one of those little old men that'll just talk your ear off to the, uh, <laughs> the telemarketers. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I, I'm kind of living my my dream right now with tempest rising and um and this this show so i'm i'm really happy <laughs> um but yeah so the topic for today i think is going to be company of heroes 3 and that whole situation <laughs> that's right that's right well it's no secret that the start was very rough with company of heroes freeze launch uh the ratings went all the way down especially uh the user ratings <laughs> Um, on, on Steam currently, they're at 54%, I think, at the time of recording. And I've seen like the recents uh, going down very close to 30%. Highly negative. Yeah, I actually just checked before the show, and it was at uh, 37% for the, the recent reviews. Okay. Um, Went up a bit. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's good. That's a positive direction, right? <laughs> up past 30 Um. But yeah, I mean, when's the last time we saw an RTS launch of this size have that kind of an outcome? Like, nope. Yeah, I mean, even Crossfire Legion last year, I think it's still like mostly positive. It's it's hanging yeah, around seventy percent. It, 70%. it um, may not have become popular, but it certainly didn't get hate. <laughs> yeah, or if it did, it didn't get the kind of hate that uh, Company Heroes Three is getting. Right. So. So do we want to talk a little bit about what that's all about? Where Where is the hate coming from? Is it deserved? Um, what's your... <laughs> no offense. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it's, it's a really interesting situation to me because um, I think even a lot of the, the detractors who are willing to have a, you know, an actual positive conversation about the game admit that the gameplay itself is actually really solid. Um, I would be willing to go so far as to say it's got the potential to be the best company of heroes in terms of gameplay um, out of all of them. And I know it's going out there on a limb a little bit, but I was really impressed by kind of the, the core updates and changes. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in the betas and stuff were saying this just feels like a, a mod or, or, you know, company of heroes 2.5. So they, they weren't really, I wouldn't say they weren't really, um, drastic with their changes uh, in the format but i think in the end there's enough to to kind of make the case that that it deserves <laughs> its own standing as a unique game the problem is actually everything that's not the gameplay right you know graphics audio uh audio is a, a big one um uh campaign quality um <clears throat> so i can i don't can keep going i just don't i don't want to just 
have the whole thing be me prattling on. So feel free to jump in. Yeah, sure, um, sure. I, I also felt that the gameplay was a step up. I mean, to those that haven't been following Company of Heroes, however, that might be a little tough to see, maybe. The biggest change, really, is that you got a ton of... Um, call-in powers and uh, perks that you can pick up as you pick up command points. So that really wasn't as much of a thing before, especially the ability to call in units uh, that you don't have to actually train yourself is very big through the new commander system. The the other thing that's kind of cool is in Company of Heroes 2 with their commander system, when you got access to those units, what it did is it give you a button on your HUD and every time you clicked it, you'd get another one of those units provided you had the you know resources for it. With Company of Heroes 3, what it's doing is when you get access to a new unit, um, sometimes there's a direct call-in, but sometimes it's actually just replacing one of your core units um, to train. So uh, one of the US um, battle group call, uh, additions is it just swaps out your engineer for the, the combat engineer. Uh, which I think is actually really, really cool. And um, I think it's a nice refinement yep. over what was done. And they in call Company it battle Heroes groups too. now. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, out of all of the, it's one of my favorite versions of a loadout system that I've seen. Um, in Company of Heroes 2, there was a lot of, um, it was noted, I guess, by players that, you know, you've got, you get three choices with your, with your, loadout in company of heroes 2 and you pick one and that's the last choice you make as far as that goes and then you just unlock the different um you know passive abilities and active abilities and unit call-ins and what have you just one at a time with points passively with the battle group system you've got the three battle groups and that's all they've gotten for each faction so far i think if the game does well they'll probably add more um but once you pick the battle group that's just the first choice uh, because as you gain points, and this is mostly for the benefit of people who haven't played the game, um, as you gain points, there's these two tech trees for each battle group, and you can unlock the different options within each tech tree. Uh, and they're not mutually exclusive at that point, although sometimes there's you have to choose A or B, and then you can't go back and choose B once you've chosen A. Yeah, there's uh, some mutually exclusive choices within one tree, but the two, the two separate trees are actually separate, and you can progress down both eventually. Uh, it just yeah. takes a long amount of time. <laughs> um, but I, I like that it, it opens up a bunch of choices instead of just a mm-hmm. thing, and then it just changes the whole rest of the game from the point where you make that one choice. Um, so I think that's actually one of the stronger aspects of the game, and I, I really, um, that's, I, I was really, I've been really excited about it since they revealed it. Um, I think they had a video and an article or something. Yeah, that I, I definitely it. think it's a strength. <laughs> like I, you, you know, and probably several viewers will know that I'm a huge fan of the RTSs that offload the uh, sub-faction sort of choices from the menu screens into gameplay. So for example, I'm a huge fan of Age of Mythology, obviously. Age of Empires 4 as well did something like this where they had the landmarks Age of Mythology with the mm-hmm. uh, with the minor god system. Then Age of Empires 3 carried that through. And there's some other games that explore this kind of space with Spellforce doing the choice of heroes. Warcraft is doing the choice of heroes as well um, in in tech trees. So there's definitely a lot of games that went down this kind of route. And I think it works really well across the board. So very glad that 
Relic is experimenting with this kind of area. But I think enough about the about the battle <laughs> group stuff. system. Shall we talk about the big element that was really the uh, staple item for Company of Heroes 3's launch, the campaign? That's now uh, a turn-based thing. So there's there's two. I think we should we should say the first campaign. The the big selling point was that in Company of Heroes three, you're given this kind of total war inspired world map. Um, so going back to Company of Heroes two, one of their big uh, content releases was Arden's Assault. And that remains one of my favorite RTS campaigns of all time. It was this turn-based world map, but it was really board gamey kind of. You you had these discrete turns that you were moving, and um, you had a couple of individual pieces that represented the armies, and it was kind of semi-randomized, so you could get this really interesting um, experience on on repeated playthroughs. Um, and I thought it was a really neat kind of focused RTS campaign experience. And with Company of Heroes 3 coming forward to the game we're actually supposed to be talking about, Wayward. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, They they really expanded the idea. And um, I don't know if you remember, but during kind of the the heyday of, um, gosh, I think it was Total War, Warhammer 2, and Company of Heroes 2, they did these... um, uh, Relic and uh, CA did these these kind of like friendly competitions where they were having players play the two games and however many like what proportion of games were played they had these these like um, this contest and obviously Total War Warhammer had a, had a much larger population so they had some sort of percentage thing to make it fair um, but whichever one won the contest you'd get this you know cosmetic in the in the the game that won. Um, do you remember any of that that happened? It was probably 2015, maybe around then. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> actually working on Warhammer at the time. Uh, that, that um, was Warhammer 1. Uh, so 2 came out in 2017. That, that must okay. have been a game one thing I worked on too. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember if it was one or two, and I don't remember exactly the year that they started it, but they did. I think they did three or four of these where there was this competition where they had uh, players go into the competitive modes. Um, and you'd get this, your, if your game won, you'd get a special cosmetic for it. Um, but I think around that time, um, Relic kind of fell in love with some of the stuff that, uh, Creative Assembly were doing and it really shows, I think they, they tried to create a Company of Heroes version of what's going on in the, the Total War games with the big world map and the, the stuff that you're kind of tying all these you know random combat situations together um and all of that to say it hasn't gone very well for them has it <laughs> um well They've certainly when you said friendly competition that was exactly the right way to put it actually um you know there was some collaboration on that front so we were sent early builds of company of heroes freeze campaign mode so i've gotten to play it very early on and uh I, I always felt that it, it it's just not as clean of a transition in Company of Heroes because the actual missions are very mission-like and very set-piece-like, uh, set, set uh, whereas Solo Wars are completely dynamic. I, I think the transition there is just a little bit more difficult to pull off, and it really shows itself still, uh, this problem in 
in the game as it was released. And especially the AI is less capable of of being dynamic. That is a point that many, many reviewers have brought up that they had very little pushback. And actually we did a recording of this very podcast that we had to scrap due to <laughs> new developments, but <laughs> no worries. Um, I had a whole rant about this, but long story short, the AI doesn't do enough to threaten the player and threat is difficulty in these kind of games. So if you don't have threat, you just build up and roll over everything that kind of takes away a lot of the the challenge and joy of playing a strategy game, at least to me. Yeah, and that's been one of the big sources of complaint that I've seen as well is, um, aside from a couple of kind of pre-scripted situations where the AI attacks you, it's very uh, unfocused and sporadic, and mm. uh, the AI is very passive. Um, <clears throat> I, I think what it feels to me kind of like is that in trying to please everyone relic kind of bit off more than they could chew. Um, you know, we, they've got two, two campaigns. They've launched the game with more factions than they've ever launched a game with before. Um, I'm counting. I think so. It's at least tied with the most they've ever launched before. And it's uh, a new iteration of their engine. That's a good that's so, a good so, point. So they're well making because... two games <laughs> in one on a new engine with new tools with probably a lot of new staff that haven't been trained in Company of Heroes tooling. Um it, it's definitely biting off a lot. You're completely <laughs> correct. Um <clears throat> and I think we're seeing that. So right before we started recording, um we were talking about their new content update that they're actually uh, releasing tomorrow as of this recording and p- possibly today, depending on when we launch this. Um, <laughs> uh, they're calling it Brass Leopard. I don't know where these names are coming from. I assume they're the names of operations that happened uh, um, in the actual Second World War. Uh, but it's a pretty big update and they're taking some steps that I, I wasn't sure they were going to make. Uh, so some of the the big stuff they're actually changing are they are they've redesigned some of the audio um which surprised me because mm-hmm. you know that's the sort of thing where I, usually you don't see a studio come back and try to to redo some of that stuff um some of those least patchable pieces of content that's for sure it's just <laughs> very difficult and expensive to go back and re-record everything or maybe they take some of the original stuff and engineer it you never know there's there's a lot that you can do with that i guess yeah, and I'm I'm not a big audio guy. It's just I I don't think I've ever heard of that being done before. Um, I'm sure it has, but in the RTS space, this is a fairly it's rare <laughs> change. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I think that's kind of the when we are distilling this to uh, a prescription about what happened. I, I really think that the the bottom line has to be relic just tried to do too much all at once. Um, you know, launching with one of the two campaigns and giving players the second one later as a, as a DLC update, I think that probably would have been received pretty well. Um, I mean, don't you like, it's really rare that a game launches with two, two completely separate campaign modes like this. Mm, Um, and I think this might be part of, part of why, 
um, just because it's, you know, two completely different skill sets that you're talking about where you've got the, the world map mode and you've got to have people writing AI for that and testing and, and doing the, the scripting. And, and then you've got the actual other campaign where it's more traditional, probably easier to put together, but you'll probably have more uh, cinematic stuff and audio stuff going on and um, maybe like prop design for some of those missions. So I don't know. It just seems like it was, it was a really, really massive undertaking. Um, and I think it might've stretched their resources kind of, kind of thin to, to push all that out. Yeah. I think if we take a very general perspective on this, uh, on what to release with, I don't think you need to go very broad with the content immediately, but the update cadence of delivering new content does need to be relatively rapid so that you can keep people entertained, release new content, uh, both paid and free, depending on what it is. So, for example, the multiplayer map, obviously don't make people pay for that. That's a really bad practice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Releasing an entire story-based campaign Hell yeah, make them pay for that. That that's real quality um, pieces of content that you can produce like that for sure. Which kind of leads us into the other big thing we should talk about, I think, um, because honestly, when the game launched, it was hovering around sixty percent. Uh, you know, they there are a lot of people who thought the audio wasn't as punchy as in the previous games. There are still videos being produced about you know why doesn't this look better? Um, you know, campaign, uh, campaign animations, <laughs> comparisons between animations for, um, you know, stuff that happens in, you know, things that exist in company of heroes three that also existed in one and saying, you know, you know, we think this looks better. Here's this side by side sort of thing. But the big drop off in reviews was with the first big update. Um which was also a metallic animal of some kind. Uh, <laughs> I can look at what they called it um, real quick, maybe. But anyway, with the first big update, they released the store. And that was the biggest source of negative reviews and, and may still be uh, where they released the, like, the daily challenges and the, uh, all of that stuff that kind of goes with the overhead of the cosmetic system and uh, monetization on top of the game. And I think that was the big knife that they kind of stuck in their own side. Um, yeah, it, it was clearly it, one of those things that they planned beforehand that, oh, we're going to have a great launch and then we're going to put on this door and people are going to be so happy that they're going to be able to get these cosmetics. Uh, <laughs> it was called Sapphire Jackal, by the way. Yes, an animal. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> close. <laughs> the store in the AAA game that you already have to pay for. I mean, I didn't. I got a review copy. That's thanks, Relic. But a store in a AAA paid game? Uh, yikes. I, I, I'm pretty sure that everybody will agree with this, that that is not a kind of practice that people will respond well to in general, especially if there are lackluster components to launch. But on top of that, in an RTS that is very historically based your creativity with the store will be rather limited i mean they're trying to sell skins on historically accurate units so what can you do you can do war paints so from my perspective 
as far as I can tell, we, we knew it was coming. Company of Heroes 2 has the same exact sort of thing. They've got a store. They've got skins. They've got Steam Workshop integration. Um, they have, you know, a... Uh, you, know, you can buy stuff with actual money or they have a, a soft currency that you can earn. I was not surprised that it was coming. And while I think regardless, uh, it probably would have given them a bit of a hit. Um, I think anyone paying attention to the history of these games was not surprised that the actual store was coming, regardless of what people think about that or not. Uh, the big piece of, I think, why it hurt them so badly is it made it seem like the store was being prioritized over other things. Exactly. So, An insensitive timing of its release. Uh, right. When people are already holding their torches and pitchforks, <laughs> it's probably the worst time to um, ask for more money <laughs> for non-essentials. When essentials need fixing, I mean... Let's talk a little bit about multiplayer when it comes to said essentials. So the multiplayer community is especially on the struggle bus as of ever since launch. Their experience has been significantly downgraded compared to Company of Heroes 2 because there is no spectator mode. So let's say you want to host a tournament, you're like me, and it's like, oh yeah, tournaments, let's go. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're going to have to ask your players to send in replays that you can then cast after the fact. And those replays, <laughs> the players can save only one at a time. So if they play two games, which is not that common in Comfrey Heroes 3, series are usually best of ones. Uh, but anyways, should they forget to save and play a new game, that replay is gone. So absolutely horrible there. Um and live tournaments are completely out of the question, but um, AE, who is currently one of the uh, biggest creators in that kind of space, is still trying to make this happen. And we were going to try to make it happen as well with MetaPlace, but as soon as we realized that there's not going to be inspected to mode, we pulled out. Um, and yeah, that's the first time I'm actually publicly talking about this. We're still conversing about maybe looking into it, and trying off the, trying out this offline casting format, but uh, we're we're not very certain about it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's one of those tough things, and I think we talked about this a little bit in our first episode, where for competitive communities, there are certain things that you really, really need to launch with. Uh, but the reality is, a lot of RTS don't, yes. um, and they can. The, the ones that are, they have their ducks in a row, they usually get them out within the first couple of months. Uh, and I, we have seen a roadmap for what Company of Heroes 3 is planning. And I think for you and myself, disappointingly, that stuff has been kicked down the road a little bit as they try to get the, the core experience solidified for people. Um, the replays have been brought a little bit closer uh, since that announcement, but Yes, the Spectre mode is still kicked down way down the, the other end. <laughs> so that, that's very unfortunate to see, yeah. for sure. And, and it's not the end of it either. Like, okay, tournaments, it's really a minority of people that, uh, that want to play in that format and even fewer people that need the Spectator mode. But um, there, there's, there's bigger things. For example, the ranked mode, which is 
auto match, it's not ranked. That's completely unranked with your hidden MMR and all that stuff. Then what Relic did was generate a leaderboard based on your unranked performance. That is a little bit of a controversy of its own. It kind of doesn't go together, those two things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this is something they've done in... Age of Empires 4 as well. Very strange. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing. It's the exact same um, thing they did in Age 4. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's interesting because that is kind of one of those things that people tend to expect on launch is the ability to do ranked and to be able to see the leaderboards and seasons and stuff. I, I feel like it's more understandable if that comes later, but two launches in a row, they've kind of had the same exact situation where um, they just kind of have this, this quick match with a, a hidden MMR as opposed to any sort of. Yes. Um, but with leaderboards. So <laughs> <laughs> why the contradiction? I don't understand. Um... So I, I, I don't know the way, the way I read it and the way I recall what happened with age of empires is there was an actual explicit MMR. It just, um, was just like not fully integrated with the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if that's exactly what's going on with Company of Heroes 3 or not. Um, it seems like Co 3 might be a little bit behind where Age 4 was at this, at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm, don't I'm sure some of these front end things are somewhat portable to each other, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't require work. So that that's just right. my high level assumption. Um maybe it's not portable. Maybe the two games are that different, but they are supposed to be using roughly speaking the same engine with um some drastic modifications. So the portability of features is something to think of, but it's probably questionable as a statement. As a way to summarize, since we had a minor technical hiccup, um I was trying to theorize what we were talking about was uh Company of Heroes 3 in relation to the current feature set of Company of Heroes 2. And, you know, Company of Heroes 2 has observer mode. It's got a replay system. And, you know, when when I got into the game, when I first started playing it, I was surprised, like, it feels like it should be doable that these things would be ported from one game to the, to the next version. Um, and I think it's reasonable to assume that what probably happened is with the engine update, there was some fundamental stuff on the, the back end that was changed to the degree, to the degree that they can't just reuse the work. Um, so I think that's just, that's all I was really planning on, on saying in that regard. Um, no, that makes perfect sense because the one-to-one porting is probably completely out of the window, I think in this conversation, but I, I think the real argument is that even if it takes significant effort, the launch would probably be planned around things like this. Um, There are games that get delayed, but then, you know, people were laid off from Relic just a while ago, right? Yeah, it was actually like a third of their entire... It was 120 or something like that. It was like a third of their entire workforce. Um, And it's kind of sent ripples. I've seen stuff about it on LinkedIn. Uh, I follow Relic on on LinkedIn. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been a, a... huge change to the company yeah uh, very very sad for everyone affected of course um but hopefully 
um, you know, there's, there's plenty of studios in Vancouver and also I'm sure some of the others in the Sega group will be able to take on people. I know Creative Assembly was looking. Um, how we are looking at Grimlore. <laughs> if you want to come to Germany or Europe or even just work remotely, that's fine. Um, we, we have people in New Zealand, so... <laughs> yeah we have um, some artists on tempest that always get on like as as i'm going to bed they're getting on to start doing, nice. doing work <laughs> um <clears throat> but yeah no that's a that's a tough thing to have happen and um i'm really glad honestly because from my my experience uh you know with what happened with dawn of war 3 is it launched players responded badly to it it got uh, like a one or two balance patches maybe they supported it now they didn't support it for very long and then they just they just dropped it and i guess they were you know they moved their staff onto company of heroes 3 and um and age of empires 4 and you know that that game had potential i think um i know a lot of people <laughs> uh really dislike a lot of stuff about uh, dawn of war 3 but you know if they'd get been given an extra year to work on it i think it would have ended up with a, a game that a lot of the players oh, for sure and i think with a modern development mentality it also wouldn't have been abandoned that quickly like there was it had some good bones right like okay people didn't like the mobile like gameplay the visuals were a little bit cluttered a lot of it maybe <laughs> some animations <laughs> were o- over the top but this is not an unsalvageable product surely yeah, that was the frustrating thing to me is that, um, you know, it seemed like there was there was potential there uh, to get it turned around and um, not not seeing it, you know, not seeing the developer be able to, to continue to push to make it better um, was frustrating. So our main topic um, is what's next for Reddick? How do they fix this situation? How do they not dawn afford themselves? <laughs> Um, well, so I think they're already moving in the right direction. They're improving the audio. That's a big thing. Um, they, I think they already did around launch. They did some like shader work to improve. There was this kind yeah. of like cell shading sort of thing in the last beta that, um, people didn't like, and they, they got, they turned that around pretty quickly. Um, they're doing a big update, like again, today or tomorrow regarding uh, when this video comes out. Uh, that introduced introduces changes to the call-in system, the uh, you know drops and the loiters and all of that 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 will improve the gameplay. I don't know what their plan is for the campaign. That seems like that's something that um, would be important for them to fix uh, with the the world map campaign because that for them you know more so than for me who's going to play it through maybe once or twice. Um, for them, that's going to be a big source of recurring recurring players to come back and, and engage with that. So they need to get that fixed. And I, I have not seen what their plans are for that specifically. Um, so I, I hope that they're committing manpower to, to fixing that and improving that experience, because I think that's, mm. that's going to be a, a, an important thing for them. I'm also fairly certain that there's already pressure coming from higher up, especially from the Sega side, considering layoffs, like that's usually the kind of move you make when you want a, studio's financial productivity to go up um and trimming the fat is like maybe a brutal way of saying it 
But that's kind of the way that people higher up operate that make these kind of calls. They uh, reduce all access and and, and focus on uh, making the maximum amount of profit with the minimal amount of workforce. So the way to do that would be to just start cranking out new factions very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than <clears throat> committing to further improving the game, they make it more content-rich. That is a way I could imagine uh, them going about things soon. And in the process of doing these uh, content updates, they would set aside a little bit of resource, some tiny amounts, just to keep fixing tidbits one at a time and eventually getting to a state where everybody's happy, but not in in big game-fixing patches. Um, so putting on my tinfoil hat here, the, um, update they're working on right now, the, uh, what is it? The brass leopard. They said it's a mid-sized update. So my guess is probably their next update after this one, is going to, they're going to aim for something larger. Maybe they'll try to squeak in something small between this one and the next big one. Um, but I think they're aiming for a really big update within the next couple of months, just based on that language. So again, that's a bit of a, you know, tinfoil hat sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> but we need to get you an actual one for the podcast next time. <laughs> <laughs> an actual, what? A, a, a tinfoil uh, hat. Oh, okay. I could, I can put one together. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> can make some meme material. Um, yeah. Sorry <clears throat> for the podcast listeners. You're missing out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. Um, But yeah, so I I don't know. The the core gameplay is really solid and they're continuing to iterate on that and they've shown some dedication to to making that work. Um, There's a lot of other stuff that needs to be uh, polished and tightened up. Uh, From my perspective, and I'm again putting myself on a limb a little bit saying this, I think the negative reaction is outsized to the amount of stuff wrong with the game. Um, I don't know. I just, I was surprised when I saw it in the the fifties and sixties and I am more so surprised by seeing it in the thirties. And I don't know. I, I try to style myself as kind of like a, like a positive, like, um, you know, focus on the positive um, type commentator. And maybe that's, that's part of it is I'm, I'm just being, you know, too nice, but um, I don't know. I, I continue to be surprised by this, this, the extent to which there's a negative reaction. I'm not surprised that there is negativity um, because there's definitely a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up and fixed. Uh, it's just, I'm surprised that it's, the impression is so bad across such a large percentage of the player base. Um, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but um, I'm I'm always in the middle in these areas. So, for example, when uh, when Age of Empires four launched, that's my closest reference point where I had really strong expectations and they weren't delivered on. So, kind of where I stood was I was expecting something to replace StarCraft two. But that was not what the product was all about at all, as it turns out. And 
it was nowhere near as clean and you know ju just the feeling of controlling units in the game and uh, how you interact with the UI it was nowhere near StarCraft 2's level and that led to me being so much more strongly disappointed by uh by the overall product that I was kind of unable to enjoy the good in it uh, and, and that's when I needed to stop playing personally and that's not without without me appreciating the good because I did host tournaments for it despite not playing myself anymore right I just got someone else to cast it <laughs> and that, that was fine that was fun uh, I, I watched all of it and that was that was fun but it's very easy, I think, to find the things that you don't like and to uh, superimpose them on the entire product. Um, so if, if it happens to me as a uh, professional and game dev, then it happening to players doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I just, I actually just looked it up just now. Um, Dawn of War 3 right now has about a 49% uh, positive rating on Steam, and Company of Heroes 3 is way lower than that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I do think that part of it is that I look for different things in games than some other people might. Um, so like, we spent a lot of the early stages of this, this uh, podcast talking about the battle group system and that like the, the joy of that system to me kind of elevates everything else mm -hmm. and graphics while a really big part of, I think what attracts people to the company of heroes franchise is how good the game looks. It's not one of the most important things to me. Um, you know, I've actually spent a lot of time um, a, a many years playing games on gaming laptops um, and while the newer ones are really, really solid, um, some of the <laughs> devices I've used over the years have struggled to run um, games as well as I would have liked. And that might be part of it is that I'm just used to running games on lower settings. Um, now, I will say, and I, I think I might have said this during our last um, our last podcast that uh, I don't think got into this one yet, is while a lot of the game looks really good to me it's it's definitely serviceable it gets me where i need to go in terms of enjoying the game um there are some maps that i'm i struggle to find the best way to to articulate this um there are some maps where it looks less like they're trying to create a representation of a place but they're trying to create a representation of a representation of a place. It, it feels more war gamey mm -hmm. where it's, it's, it's obvious that these are props placed on a map as well, opposed to a strategy game map, environment. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the, the easiest ways for me to think about this, and that's because I, I like Dawn of War two and I'm, I'm still playing it and uh, interacting with the content is it's very obvious in Dawn of War 2, when you're watching someone play on a player-made map versus a dev-made map, where in a dev-made map, they, they take the time to kind of integrate all of the environments together so it looks like, looks like a cohesive thing, a, a place. 
where a player made map is there. I'm, you know, I'm going to put a blocker here and I'm going to put a, a blocker there. And there's a terrain piece here and it looks and feels more less cohesive, less like a, an actual place. And some of the maps in company of heroes three feel that way to me. Now, I think some of them, uh, they do a really good job of kind of making it feel more cohesive and, and bringing everything together. Um, so even what, I, and what I'm trying to say with all this is even from my perspective, where there are a lot of people out there making a lot of hay about the graphics and I wouldn't as much, even from my perspective where I, I don't care about that as much. I have seen some things that have um, surprised me a little bit Yeah, well, about some of the maps. I've definitely um, seen better, but it's not bad by any means. So yeah, better, better stuff does exist out there. Sure. In terms of uh, visual fidelity and maybe on the front of being dull company of heroes is definitely up there because, <laughs> uh, because of the colors of a world war two landscape, uh, that's war torn. Yeah. That's going to be like that. Uh, so you, you, you can't expect your, uh, very shiny fantasy environment there. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that contributes, I think to that feeling of it not being, uh, flashy enough graphically for sure. But it does the job. Like you said, you get where you need to go. You can read your units and know exactly what they are. And have a fairly good understanding of what they're up against. Although I do feel that the unit descriptions need some love there. (laughs) They're very texty (laughs) and not very descriptive. Um, Visually speaking, generally, I'm on the okay side of things. It's better than average. in every culture, okay means something different in, in terms right. of ratings, right? <laughs> Let's put it on a scale of, I'm going to say it's a six and a half to seven for me out of 10. And I think that's I'm fair. totally yeah. okay to play at that range. That's that's fine. Um, I hate to cut things short, but I am kind of running out of time. That's um, okay. I think we discussed everything that we needed hey. to discuss for Company of Heroes Free. So I guess we're going to be looking forward to um, more content and development on Company of Heroes Free. And I'm sure we'll revisit the topic at some point. It uh, would be neat to, to do this a couple months down the line and see yeah. you know, what, if at all, our opinions have changed versus also what you know players are saying. Um, so. Yeah, that's exactly it. So um, coming up, actually, very shortly, um, on the 11th of June will be the Stormgate reveal. So definitely expect something on that front. I'll be doing a live reaction, and then we'll probably be jumping into one of these episodes shortly after. Um, we'll see exactly what time we'll agree on something. <laughs> we'll there find will be the time episode. to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to be an exciting one. Yeah, and then there's a new Age of Sigmar RTS. So let's also talk about that. Uh, there's not much explicit about it yet. So. Yeah, not much yet. We can make some guesses and inferences yeah. and then check ourselves later and see how well we did. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Um, it, it looks cool. I'll say that much. Looking forward to seeing more from them as well. As someone who, again, admittedly likes Dawn of War 2, I am intrigued. I'm, I'm interested to see more. Um, yeah, I man. Think it, it looks like a, a promising concept, and it's just a matter of checking out the uh, the execution and learning some of the unknowns. 
Well then, the only thing left to be said is that we're officially launched everywhere, right? We're on YouTube, we're on all the podcast platforms uh, that you could imagine, Spotify, Amazon, you name it. Uh, we have all the social media ever. <laughs> find <laughs> RTS Masterminds Podcast, find us. It's easy. Um, won't be difficult at all. And we've got a Patreon where you can access all of our stuff completely ad-free and early. So check that out as well. We also have a Discord that's connected to this Patreon, by the way. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon, for joining. Thanks so much. Yeah. Love I'm talking to you about to... Pump of Heroes. We'll do it again. Yeah, and uh, all the other exciting RTS stuff we've got going on this year. Honestly, I feel like this is a really good time to be an RTS fan. Yeah. Hey, maybe we'll also talk about Sense of a Solar Empire. I, I was actually eyeing that. Yeah, I actually own it. Uh, I need to you check out some of nice. that. Yeah, I, I bought it early to support them uh, because um, one of my friends is the lead producer on it. Um, ah, it's Unicrocken, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Unicrocken. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Um, but I, I kind of tinkered around with it a little bit right at the mm. beginning. Um, and I need to get back into it to see all the stuff they've changed. It's not really my speed of game, but I'm going to give it the old college try. So Yeah, I'll, I'll do it when there's a second race I'm, I'm buying then. Nice. All right. All well, right. That's it for us. See everyone <laughs> in the next one. <laughs>